Another make-believe story that I like to tell people was that I didn't like my <laughs> middle name. So I would tell people, even though it's spelled Y-U-Y-E, that it was pronounced Yu-Hua and that it was a flower. I just thought it sounded a lot cooler than Yu-Ye. And I don't, I don't know why I needed to be insecure about that. I just wanted it to sound cooler. Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. On this episode, I catch up with my friend, Lily. She's part of the same adoptee group that I talked about in Sienna's episode, but she also went to BU like me, so we've kept a little bit better in touch over the years. Right now, she lives out west somewhere, I think. She mentions it in the episode. And we talk about all kinds of things, how people would never assume she's adopted because she has an Asian mom and therefore looks a little bit more like she came from her parents biologically. We talk about her experience of the Black Lives Matter movement when she lived in Baltimore before she moved out west and how having a strong adoption group and having adoptee or Asian connections growing up in your life can really change the way your identity as an adoptee can develop differently as opposed to if you don't have those sorts of strong influences when you're younger. We have a good time, and I hope you do too. Okay, here's the show. Hey, Hello. Lily. Hi. Hello. Hi. Wait, something's happening with on your end. Or oh, my, yeah. I mean, I'm on my end. Whenever you talk, it sounds weird. Oh, really? Oh, now it's fine. Okay. 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 Good. 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 Hi. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I know you just got back from work. So thanks for agreeing to talk to me at this time. Yeah. No, I actually worked from home today. So it was perfect. Oh, okay. Cool. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Cool. I wanted to ask you. What interested you in my project when I pitched the idea to you and asked for your participation? And that's kind of like how I like to start every interview that I do. Sure. Yeah. I was interested because I personally haven't really talked about it with anybody else besides who have I talked about it with? I actually can't even tell you if I've really in depth talked about this. Not because I didn't want to share any information. It was just because I didn't really think anyone would really be interested in it. And mm. I think because we had such of an open upbringing with our adoption with the group of you, Sienna, me, and Sarah, mm -hmm. I didn't really feel like I was holding anything in. And when it came up that you were doing this podcast, I was like, oh, wow, I could maybe share my story. And there is actually people online because with the adoption group on Facebook, there's 
a ton of people that have all of their stories. And I mean, I'm sure they all would love to hear about everyone else's like story with it, even if it isn't like the most inspirational story. It's just, you know, your own little experience with it. So yeah, I thought it was like maybe about time that I I kind of delved more into it because I haven't really given it too much thought before. Mm, I think that's a great point because like, you know, we can all connect. We, as in the larger adoptee community can all connect and relate because we all have, you know, certain I guess I'll say checkpoints in our story that are the same or similar, but you know, we're all different people, obviously. And so there are nuances that only each individual can really share, but those nuances are also shared experiences, but they're just so minute and specific that if we're not the ones talking about them, then they don't get talked about. And so I think that that's a good point in terms of like when like how how sharing your adoption story, even if it's not, you know, the craziest story can still be important and still matter. Something that I have been thinking about that I know, well, that I know from knowing you that is different than some of the other adoptees stories that I know, which is why I'm asking you this directly is your experience of having an Asian mom or an Asian parent because a lot of adoptees, there are transracial adoptions and they get adopted into families where both parents are white. And I was wondering if you could, or I was curious, and if I feel like if I'm curious, then the audience will be curious too. If you could just speak to maybe how that impacted you a little bit or made you interpret your adoption differently than had your parents both been white? Yeah, I think that actually is part of why I never really felt it necessary for people to know about anything about my adoption or why I thought they would care because a lot of people just assumed that I wasn't adopted because my mom is Japanese and I do very strangely enough, look a lot like her. And when I'm with my parents and we're just walking around, or if anyone sees me with them, they don't really think twice about it. So I think a lot of that has to do with just me feeling really comfortable in my house and in my town, which is also kind of a very heavily Asian town. So there was a lot of like culture, Asian culture around me, not even just in my household that made me feel like immediately very included. And I never felt at all like I didn't belong there. So because of being in kind of the Asian-esque household, it immediately felt just calming and like I belonged there. So I think that was obviously very helpful. And then having all of you guys that we would meet up all of the time. Yeah. I never had to ask any questions really because they, we all were just together all the time. I don't remember them ever sitting down and telling me that I was adopted for some reason. I guess I just knew from the very beginning and maybe I didn't actually process what being adopted meant till a little bit later, but 
at some point I must have realized that no, these are not my real parents. So yeah. Well, speaking of your mom, I vividly remember like we used to go to your house for like a holiday every year. Was it Chinese New Year? I, it was actually I don't uh, think so. It was actually the Japanese New Year on Jan, oh. which is January first, same as just regular New Year, and she would cook a massive amount of food, Japanese food. Not actually quite traditional Japanese food because it had been pretty Americanized, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we would go through like two gallons of soy sauce for this meal. But oh my God. yeah, that was like a really nice tradition that we had growing up. And that definitely is something that I will never be able to <laughs> continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is an amazing cook, and we do make a lot of Asian food at the house. So, mm. so yes, I definitely remember going to your house every year to celebrate that specifically. And this is not to say because she's Japanese, but I, I have never forgotten the sushi rolls <laughs> that she used to make. And no, I'm so serious. They were one of my favorite things I've ever eaten and let me tell you I have never up until like literally up until the past two years or so where long story short I met I made this friend at work who at some point was doing kind of like a meal swap thing and the thing he was cooking that week was this you know he had told me he was like yeah it's gonna be sushi or whatever and then he posted a photo of what it was on social media and I freaked out because <laughs> it was exactly the same sushi that I remembered your mom making that Lily that I hadn't had since we stopped celebrating at your house oh my god so I immediately messaged him and as soon as I saw the photo I immediately messaged him and I was like sign me up for like five rolls Oh my God, I will pay you whatever you want because you have no idea the long backstory between me and this particular like Oh, that's like, dish. so funny. She would love to hear you say that. And she, until this day, like <laughs> we still have the get together with some, like it's a much smaller group right now. Mm -hmm. And she still does not let anybody else make it. <laughs> Oh my god, they were the best. Seriously, I don't even remember. You should I was so like my friend was like, "Wow, you really <laughs> were excited about <laughs> about that." And I was like, "Listen, you have that no is idea." So funny. Oh man. But okay, so going back to how you were saying that you never really remember having a conversation with them about being adopted because it was always just sort of known or you know, the normal thing. What is like, what do you know about your adoption story, or your sort of surrendering in China, and then how you were found and then you're adopted? Like, what do you know about that story? What I know is that I was left on a police stoop with a note, and possibly a birth certificate. I'm not sure. I'm actually not even sure mm. if my birth certificate that we have hanging if that actually is my birthday, I think it must be. It must be, but there's a possibility that it was a made-up date. 
<laughs> not only because I think that I'm actually younger than I am, but <laughs> yeah, I was left on a police stoop with a note. And then obviously I was brought to the orphanage in Changshu, which is in the Jiangsu province. And I was there for eight months and adopted, obviously at the same time as your parents. And other than that, I don't think they know anything else. We did, in 2006, we went back and visited the orphanage, but at, by that time it had been torn down and built into mm. another orphanage. Oh. And it's right next to the U Mountains, YU. And so everybody at the orphanage had a name that started with YU. And so mine was Yu Yay. Y-U-Y-E. And so that's why that's my middle name. And then when we went back, actually, someone thought they might have remembered me. And I was like, no way. Wow. I didn't know that about your name history. That's cool. Yeah. That Wait, why didn't I have one with you? You were not in the same orphanage. I guess it was a different place. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, no shit. Still, that's really cool. I don't have any I don't think I have any name mm -hmm. history like that. But you do have um, a middle name, yeah. Asian middle name. What was that name from? Yeah, so the name on my, like, you know, card, as you said, that little, like, info card that I was found with, said the name Furong, F-U-R-O-N-G. I don't know what it means. And one of my good friends who I met because she was my roommate, when I went to BU was an international student from Hong Kong. And she was, you know, really like she was fluent in, in Chinese. And so I asked her, Hey, like, what does my name mean? Or what does Furang mean? And she told me, Oh, I don't, I won't know unless oh. I see it written because there are multiple words that sound the same, but if you wrote them out in their characters, they would oh. read differently. And so she asked me, do you know how it was written or do you just know like how it sounded? And I was like, no, 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 I don't know the characters at all. And she was like, yeah, so I don't, oh, I can't really tell you. And I was like, oh, well, okay, cool. That's yeah, interesting. That's I didn't know that. Cool. Actually, I, yeah. And I remember, I have no idea how it's written out either. Although maybe it's on the birth certificate. I haven't actually looked at it for a while, but I do remember another make-believe story that I like to tell people was that I didn't like my <laughs> middle name. And so I would tell people, even though it's spelled Y-U-Y-E, that it was pronounced Yu-Hua and that it was a flower. <laughs> I just thought it sounded a lot cooler than Yu-Ye. <laughs> I, I don't know why I needed to be insecure about that, but I just wanted it to sound cooler. And I do remember telling, I think, like the group of us that, it was pronounced differently, but I just totally made that up. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so funny. Well, I don't remember that, but heard that you <laughs> lied to me. Okay. <laughs> so the birth certificate that is up on your wall in your house, that's the birth certificate that you were found with, not the one that your parents had to fill out for you? No, in no. What is hanging on? No, what's hanging on the wall oh. is what my parents filled out, not what they found, I don't think. Oh, okay. Actually? Okay. Yeah, actually, I, 
I'm not positive. Now I'm sounding like I just don't know anything about my history. No, I do not think that that's the original. And I don't think they have the note either. Yeah. Probably the orphanage has kept it or... Yeah, I think that mm. that what's hanging on the wall is just like a an announcement that they've adopted me, I guess. Because I can kind of picture there. it's mm. starting with on April 8th, 1994, that Lily was adopted. Right. So, yeah, I think that's what mm. that is. Okay. That's the only thing. Maybe there is something else okay. in our, like, safety deposit box that I haven't even seen. But that's the only thing that I can recall about the announcement of my presence. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Because I was going to say, that was crazy. Like, I don't think my parents have the note. I don't think my mom has the note or anything either. Yeah. That would be wild. I don't think so either. Yeah. They would have told me by now, I would hope. (laughs) When you were going back to China in 2006, did you have any, like, I'm so fascinated by that because I've never done it. I've never done that trip. So I always am interested in talking to people about their experiences, did you have any sort of like preconceived notions or what you thought it was going to be like, or specific things that you thought were going to be answered or anything? Or were you just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go and I don't know what's going to happen. I wish it was more of your, uh, more of the first part, but I think it's more the latter where I just, I was, I don't know, 13 (laughs) and Mm. Thought it was cool that we were going to China and I had saved up a bunch of money to give to the orphanage, but I didn't really think about what that actually meant to them or to me. I was just like, oh, I'm making mm. a donation and I'm 13 years old and I'm <laughs> I really didn't feel very connected at all. It was more a little bit more confusion because of so much of the language barrier and we had a translator come with us to all of these places but you know as a 13 year old and someone is trying to translate probably what my parents are saying not me because I wouldn't have been the one to like speak up at that age but whatever my parents were saying to the orphanage director and then having it translated most likely I was bored (laughs) knowing me (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to do all the cool things like, you know, climb the Great Wall of China. And I was like, not very interested at that age to really understand where I came from, unfortunately. But I do want to go back again and kind of see it again, just at this age where I'm a lot more (laughs) thoughtful. And (laughs) yes, I used to think this like people would ask me, you know, do you ever want to go back and visit your orphanage or you know things like that and I always gave them answers like what you just said like well it'd be cool to go and you know I don't know see the terracotta soldiers or Mm -hmm. like be on the great wall but like I'm not interested in visiting my orphanage or going there for personal reasons like if I went I feel like I would be going Mm -hmm. as any other tourist and not kind of like a return to my roots or whatever but I don't know after talking with a bunch of people and getting to know mm-hmm. people who have done that trip with that intention they're kind of changing yeah mind a I bit. definitely would be interested to go back again mm-hmm. and not because I think it will give me any kind of realization or anything but just to kind of see the place I don't need to like dig deep 
into any information about my parents or anything. And I don't even think I'd be able to find them even if I wanted to. So it's not really about getting any more information for myself. It's just more just to see it and then kind of like leave. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by, yeah, still no one. <laughs> Did I fool you? For now, this ad, I'm talking about Blogilates. It's like Pilates, but blog Pilates. It was founded by Cassie Ho, who I think altogether across all her social media platforms, she has over 10 million followers or close to it. Her whole thing is Pilates mixed with like floor routines that you would do at the gym. It's been a lifesaver for me, especially in COVID because I'm not going to the gym to be able to work out from home with her workout videos and her workout programs. They're completely free. You can find all of her workout stuff on YouTube. That's what I do. And she publishes monthly workout calendars where every day for that month, she'll list different workouts to do. And, you know, Monday is total body. Tuesday is cardio. Wednesday is legs, you know, etc. You get the idea. I really love it because it doesn't require any sort of equipment. I mean, you don't even need weights to do it. All you really need is a mat. And she makes all of the workouts adjustable to be for your fitness level, whether you're beginner or advanced, whether you have bad knees or bad wrists or, you know, whatever it is. She makes it so that you can do it too. I would highly recommend her program, her channel, if you are looking for a type of workout or workout inspiration to get you started that is budget-friendly because, hello, it's free, and is just really easy to get into. Again, her name is Cassie Ho, and it's called Blogilates, B-L-O-G-I-L-A-T-E-S. Okay, now back to the show. So one of the things that you and I have in common is being an only child. And the reason that that stands out in my mind is, well, aside from the fact that I totally hated it, is that the majority of people that I've talked to for the podcast are not. They're either siblings and their sibling is from their biological like biologically related to their parents or that mm -hmm. sibling is also adopted. And I think that's really cool because as I just said, like I hated the experience of being an only child. And I wanted to ask how you felt about being an only child because we're in the same boat. Yeah. There. I don't think I have as strong feelings about it as you do. I wouldn't say that I hated being an only child. I would just say as any only child even adopted or not would wish that they had a sibling that kind of longing for it but I mean I know mm -hmm. that I probably have some sibling or had one in China which is why we were adopted and honestly I don't think about it that often mm. when I do think about it it like it's I start to feel really weird about it so that's probably why I don't think about it not because I'm being like an unhealthy it's not like an unhealthy suppression or anything but I just don't 
really care if I have an older sibling. Of course, I wish I had a sibling growing up, but I also honestly really liked being an only child in some ways, just because I definitely Mm. wouldn't have been able to have all the opportunities that I did if there was another, if I had a sister or brother. I mean, my parents were able to sign me up for like all kinds of like after school activity classes and just being able to kind of have the door open to whatever I wanted to explore hobby wise or career wise. I was just so, so, so thankful Mm -hmm. and still am obviously that, that I can choose kind of whatever path that I want to do. And I know that if there was somebody else in the family that they were also helping out with, that definitely wouldn't have been a possibility for me. So I just, you know, Mm. looking back on it, As a kid, of course, it'd be nice to have someone to play with all the time, but I selfishly, I guess I'm just really grateful for all the opportunities that I was given because they weren't like financially burdened or anything. Mm -hmm. Speaking of opportunity, looking back now at your childhood and all of those opportunities that you had, do you feel aware? of your privilege differently than you did before a in general but also in sort of the context of the black lives matter movement and how white privilege has sort of come to the forefront i'm not sure if actually specifically the black lives matter movement has affected me at all i mean if anything it just has made me more aware of what's going on in the world, which I normally don't like follow to a T, like I don't usually read the newspaper or anything, but now, but now I do, for instance. But I mean, in terms of how it relates with the privilege I've had, then yes, for sure, I'm much more reflective, especially just being at home all day and kind of thinking about where my life is going to go after this and just Mm -hmm. kind of being so thankful to my parents and all of the support that they and the other mentors in my life at school and everything have given towards me and just being really thankful and realizing that I really don't need that much to be happy. And like when everything shut down and music stopped for me, like, music was my whole life playing the flute and traveling was everything. And then all of a sudden I had nothing to do. And I was at first like really bummed, of course, that I I didn't know how long this was going to last. Nobody did. And I was just like super bummed that (laughs) I had lost all of my work and just already being a musician, it was hard. And then having this on top of it, but then seeing like all of, the things happening in Baltimore with the peaceful protests and I was attending some of them, I just realized that I didn't need to be so upset about my career kind of going down the drain because Mm. I know that that will always come back for me at some point when the pandemic was over, but something like privilege doesn't always come back for people. So that was 
kind of an mm-hmm. eye-opening moment mm-hmm. where I, w- I was like, okay, I don't need to be such a selfish person with my music career. I can also try to let this experience, like, let my knowledge with music and teaching, like, help other people. And I don't need to, I don't need to be so focused on myself anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that definitely makes sense. Doing more kind of volunteer teaching online on Zoom and things like that that I wouldn't normally have done if all of this hadn't happened because I was just so career driven and just had my mind set on only one thing which was like winning an orchestra job and now I'm like okay I can relax a little and kind of play music because I love to play music not because I have to win a job. Speaking of everything shutting down and you know, COVID in general. Have you experienced any or like an increase in racism directed at you because of Corona or because, you know, Trump was going around saying it was the China virus? Do you feel like people have, and in some instances, I mean, obviously not all people, but do you feel like people have been more like racist towards you because of your Asian appearance? I would say no, I haven't experienced it. I know that it definitely exists but I haven't felt out of place at all or felt any kind of racism towards me. I was in New Jersey and Baltimore and then we moved to Kansas City, Missouri in August. So maybe I would have thought this would happen a little bit more in Missouri, but Kansas City Mm -hmm. is a pretty liberal city. So and especially when we're walking out with masks and like usually people can't really tell what I am (laughs) so maybe that also has to do with it I'm not Mm -hmm. sure but no I haven't I have not experienced any of that Mm. and I'm grateful either yeah no definitely exactly exactly um really grateful for that but yeah when I ask people that question it's it's sort of a range it definitely seems to be I mean this is sort of a no duh kind of thing but it definitely seems to be location-based the people who I've talked to mm. that currently live in southern states usually always say yes that they have experienced more racism directed towards them and more hostility but then you know in places on the west coast or in the northeast or the east coast i think it trends to towards no not so much which is yeah is an unfortunate reality of the country right. i guess at the yeah. moment or has always been really so One of my other questions for you was, because I've talked to a bunch of adoptees Mm. from different countries, you were adopted from China like me. So do you feel like you were a product of the one child policy? Or do you feel like your adoption or your situation was sort of more random? Or had there not been a one child policy, let's say, do you think you still would have I definitely think we were the one-child policy babies. We were probably one of the first ones once Mm. China opened up again to have been adopted from it because I don't know exactly the year, but I do remember we were probably one of the first ones from the agency that our parents worked with that brought Mm. children from China to the U.S. And I think, yeah, I think they had said we were one of the first ones in the early 90s, I think, when it started up again. I mean, I can't tell you if that's exactly the reason I don't think I'll ever know. But 
I feel like the town or city where I'm from is a pretty well-to-do. I mean, Changshu is huge, so I wouldn't necessarily say that it would have happened unless the one-child policy had been reinforced. As in to say, like mm. probably my birth parents were weren't super poor. It's not like I was abandoned because they couldn't afford me or anything. Ah, uh-huh. I see. Okay. And so relating that back to the sibling question, you do you do think that you I mean, I'm asking myself this too. Does being a product of the one child policy imply that there is a biological sibling out there going back to the sibling question just because the whole one child policy is as it as it's called like you're only allowed to have one kid and if you had more than one then i'm assuming to some degree that the biological parents had to pick which right. kid to keep I mean, and I'm, which I kid sure to give away i have sibling in china not because i have any feeling or anything about it uh, like a <laughs> some like soul searching feeling or anything it's it's just more logistically it's that's like the statistics are like pretty high that i have one just because of the situation that they were in but i don't think that it was it wasn't like they didn't even have a choice like they already probably had a child and so then they already knew when they were <laughs> pregnant with me i guess that that they had to give me up so you think you're the younger uh, yeah that's you were younger like the younger the sibling. most sense to me because oh like if they were trying to have a boy first and yeah i guess yeah I keep right forgetting that that's also an option <laughs> i'm not sure then and i don't really feel the need to think about that because i don't feel connected or i don't feel like i'm missing out on a sibling so it doesn't really matter to me if it's an older or younger sibling like whoever it is i was the one that got all of these experiences in the united states so yeah that's true i don't know i don't you saying that makes me wonder why it matters to me to know whether i was the first child or the second child or the second girl or the first girl or if there were any brothers or any like males or other females yeah i don't know why that is important to me but it's something that i've always as you said it's like a logistical situation where i kind of just run through all of the different possible combinations and try and you know, by process of elimination, like try and figure out which two. Oh, it's totally more normal for you to have um, to for you to be curious than for me to not care. I mean, I wish I cared more almost, but like for some reason, I have just like very little amount of emotion with this. <laughs> and I think a lot of it does have to do with how like <laughs> even though my parents brought me up and were so open about everything, we didn't actually talk much about it. And so because like I know that you and your parents were a lot more open and just kind of had a lot more personal conversations about it than I did. So that your bringing up with that yeah. made you aware of the kind of questions to think about and ask. And I like growing up didn't mm. even like maybe if maybe if my mom like wanted oh. to talk to me about it then more thoughts would kind of start coming in my mind about all the possibilities. But because we never really did that, 
that probably has something to do with why I just don't care. Mm. I don't think that it's because mm-hmm. she That's or my dad point. weren't comfortable in talking about it. I'm sure that if I wanted to, they would be totally willing to. But that's just not our dynamic. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that makes sense. While I do think it is more common to question or to ask those kinds of questions, I don't think that most adoptees had parents who talked about it quite so much as I did (laughs) because my mom like because she was a therapist or is still is a therapist you know that kind of conversation came way more easily to her and not more naturally almost to a detriment like it it couldn't be helped even when I didn't want to talk about it it still would come up because you know that's what she does for a living she just talks about people's like problems <laughs> unconscious or conscious all the time all day long so <laughs> so i think that on the flip side you know that makes sense as to why i think about that a lot but on the flip side i don't think that <laughs> maybe talking about it quite so much was a good thing. I think it made me feel slightly, right. I don't want to say suffocated, but it felt like it took up a lot of space and like space that I wanted for other things, you know, and, it, and, and instead it got kind of absorbed into right. various yeah, adoption conversations. I, I, I mean, I haven't thought about that with your situation, but that's definitely true in many ways, probably with our different family dynamics but i'm so sorry i actually have to go (laughs) no worries it's all good this has been awesome thank you so much for being willing to talk with me and it was really nice to reconnect with you yeah you you too have a good night okay thanks lily you too bye all right that's the end of the episode the end of my conversation with lily And oh my god holy cow we made it to the new year we made it to 2021 Whoever would have thought. In honor of that, obviously, I have to ask for my question of the week. What are your New Year's resolutions? Now, I know generally, and for every other year before this one, most people hate that question. But I don't know. I figured because we've all been through so much this year, and hopefully it's been a chance for people to spend some extra time reflecting and working on themselves. I just thought that maybe this year, New Year's resolutions would be different. And maybe everyone has really thought of something that matters to them that they really want to achieve in this new year. So if you have, then as per usual, head on over to the Instagram feed and let me know what those resolutions are in the comments below. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted, Now What? Hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there.